Hey, how you guys doing tonight? Ooh, I got a little ring, Nestor. Help me out. Man, okay. So, um, we are wrapping up the semester, and man, hey, you guys have, uh, you guys are like the faithful, man. You are here till the end. You know what? Jesus is going to help you finish strong. Amen? So, he, uh, we're, in, we're in the middle of a sermon series right now, talking about how we are salt and light. That's something that, that Jesus said that we should be, and... Um, so tonight we're gonna we're gonna jump back into that. We've talked a little bit about how, as students or as employees or, or, or uh, I guess em, yeah, employees, we can be uh, salt and light where Jesus has us right now. The things we're responsible for right now, um, those can be done as worship. So things like work can be worship to the Lord. Um, we talked about the following week about how we as representatives of Christ and Christ's love, we don't repay evil with evil. After all, that's not what Jesus did for us, right? That's not what he did for us at all. Um, we, we've talked about being generous because one day, people are either going to look back on your life and they're going to remember that you were like stingy and greedy or they're going to remember that you were generous, right? And we talked about how generous people make plans to be generous. Like this is something you actually have to plan for. It doesn't happen on accident, but man, generous people are intentional when it comes to, to being good stewards of their resources. Um, Last week, we talked about how we're called to love the Lord um, in the mundane, not just in the miraculous. So it's not just in the, the big moments or the big decisions that we're supposed to make for Jesus. But the idea is to love him and walk with him day in and day out in everyday life. And we will find ourselves closer and closer to Jesus. Tonight, I want for us to consider how this community and hopefully how we as individuals are hopeful people. How we are people of hope. I would say, and hopefully you would say, that, that Jesus, um, Jesus brings hope into people's lives. And some of you guys, you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior recently. And, and hopefully you would say that Jesus has, has brought hope into your life. And, and um, you, might, you, you would say that maybe your life has changed, that maybe your heart has changed. And even if the circumstances of your life hasn't changed, something has changed. And we would say that that's because of Jesus. If you're a Christian in here tonight, we would say that you have a hope for eternity. You have a hope for where you're going to end up in the afterlife. Because we believe everybody spends eternity somewhere. There's only two options. You got heaven or hell. You're going to end up in one of them. And, and Jesus provides a hope for us to end up in heaven. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. First uh, John 5.11 the testimony that we believe, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son, Jesus. So, there is hope for our future if you are a believer in Jesus, because our past and our sins have been taken care of through Jesus. We, we believe in this hope, and we believe in this hope for eternity in heaven is only found in Jesus. That, that's, that's part of what we believe. But let me ask you a question tonight. We, we, we believe that our, our hope for our future has been taken care of. Um, <clears throat> but how many of you would agree that believing in Jesus will change your life? How many of you would agree that believing in Jesus will change your life? Yeah. Okay. I, I would totally agree with that. Here's what we know. Um, we, it's pretty evident in this room that believing in Jesus can change your life. And for many of you, this is where your faith started. 
Some of you are kind of experiencing this right now. You're a recent convert to Jesus, or maybe this is the first time you've really taken your faith seriously, and, and there's something different about life right now because of your faith. You, um, you started believing in Jesus, you got baptized, you became a Christian, but then some of you began to recognize that life didn't really change. In fact, um, you began to realize that maybe you quit changing. You still believe in Jesus, right? But the change isn't coming. In fact, I think that a lot of people who claim to be Christians don't live much differently than they did before they believed in Jesus. And that's, that's kind of odd, isn't it? So you might say that you believe, you might even claim to be Christian, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for your sin, that He rose again on the third day. You believe all the right stuff, but there's been very little life change. The way you looked before you believed is pretty similar to how life has looked, looked since you believed. And here's why. Believing in Jesus will not change your life. Now, the truth is, when we look at these two statements, believing in Jesus will change your life, and everybody goes, yeah, that's true. But at the same time, we would sit there and go, believing in Jesus will not change your life. And let's be honest, some of you have seen this. People get saved, but life never really changes. They remain angry, anxious, greedy, hateful, unloving, and, and the new creation that they're supposed to become never seems to take shape. So how do we reconcile the differences in these two statements? How do, we re, how do we remain a people of hope if indeed we actually believe that Jesus can provide hope for a lost and dying world? See, we believe that when Jesus becomes Lord and Savior, there's not just hope for an afterlife, but there's hope for right now. But that's not always displayed in every Christian we've met. And let's be real. Some of you are in here tonight, and you hope that Jesus can help you overcome sin in your life. Like there's that thing that you've been dealing with and you're really hoping Jesus can help you overcome that. Some of you hope that, you can, that Jesus can help you do life better than your parents did life. Like you actually want to live a God-honoring life unlike your family. You're here tonight because you hope that Jesus can fix your life, fix your circumstances, fix your heart, and that somehow Jesus can lead you towards something better, not just in eternity in heaven, but now. Like can Jesus lead me towards something better now? I'll say this, this hope has led so many of you to, to, like, to, to get baptized again. Because for some of you, you were baptized when you were young. It, maybe, maybe it wasn't your decision, or, or maybe you didn't really understand, or maybe something happened, you strayed, you began to, to walk away from Jesus, and now that you have a greater understanding of what believing in Jesus is Lord in, in, as your Lord and your Savior, that's really taken root, and so you're ready to declare to the world that, that you are following Jesus, that you are with Jesus. And you know what? When you make a public declaration like that, there should be hope that, that, your, that your life will change. How many of you would agree with that? When you get, you, you st- listen, we're going to baptize a couple of guys tonight. When you get dunked and you come back up and you are, you, you are literally in baptism, you're identifying with the death in the burial of Jesus, and in his resurrection out of the grave. And that represents new life that is, that is given only through Jesus. There should be hope in a changed life with a declaration like that. And I believe that Jesus can change your life. I believe that Jesus wants to do that. But I don't believe that, that a simple belief in Jesus gets us there. 
How many of you guys um, know James or have ever read uh, the book of James in the Bible? Okay, James is, is the brother of Jesus. Now, how many of you guys have an older brother? Let me see your hand. Okay. Um, <clears throat> some of you guys are pointing like this, like he's sitting next to me. Yeah. Um, so how many of you guys would ever be willing to say that your older brother was the son of God? That's what I figured. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it, it, this, is, this is the situation James is in. James is Jesus' brother. Okay. And, and James is actually, he was skeptical about Jesus being God, all right? And if you have an older brother, you understand why, right? And so James, but in James 2, he says this. He says simply believing is not enough. James says that even demons believe, yet they're still demons. There's something about believing, just believing in Jesus, that doesn't seem to provide real hope for real change in our real life right now. So where do we find this hope that Jesus brings into our lives? Well, that's what I want to talk about tonight. And I want us to look at a, at a story in the Bible that is going to help us gain a better understanding of where this hope actually comes from. Now, okay, the story I'm going to read tonight is actually found in three different Gospels, okay? Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, these, we're going to kind of cherry pick this story from different Gospels. So as we're reading tonight, just recognize that we're going to be jumping around a little bit. But we've got all of the scripture references up on the screen for you as we follow along. And these, these different stories, they're, they're going to provide some details that are going to help us grasp the spiritual truth that's going to help us understand where the hope in Jesus actually comes from. So we're going to jump around a little bit, but just follow along in the story Man, I would encourage you, go check out the story in all of these, in all of the Gospels, and, um, and, and kind of check out what's included and where. There's a lot more to this story that we're not going to cover, we're only going to read about half of it. We'll start in Mark 10, verses 17 through 18. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Have you ever noticed how many times Jesus answers a question with a question? You ever notice how he does that? See, uh, he does this here, and and if you read the account, okay, little tip. um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all all record this story. But if you go read the the record in Matthew, um, the question that Jesus asks is uh, is different in, in this verse 18. Why do you call me good? is, is uh, in Matthew, it says, why do you ask me about what is good? Well, the guy wasn't asking about what is good. The guy asked, uh, he, he called him good teacher, right? He wasn't asking about what was good. He called him good teacher. And so Jesus responds, why do you call me good? And, and, and there's a, um, <clears throat> no one is good except God alone. And as you read this, I don't want you to miss the tone or the intensity of this moment. As you read through this story, you have, to, you have to recognize the tone that Jesus is using. You have to recognize the intensity of this moment. Because Jesus is actually equating himself with God here. In other words, you called me good, but there's none good but God. So if you're willing to call me good, are you willing to call me God? And if you're willing to call me God, are you really willing to listen to what I have to say? And so I think it's an important question that Jesus asked because so many people are willing to make Jesus a good moral teacher, but they're not willing to make him God. And there's a difference in how you respond to those two, right? Because if Jesus is God, then what he says goes, period. No questions asked, right? 
And so you'll see why Jesus has to, has to make this intense moment here in just a minute. Um, and, and let me tell you this. When you read the words of Jesus, if you only read them as though he's a good moral teacher, they'll never make sense. In fact, you'll think that Jesus is an absolute lunatic or he's a liar if you don't treat him as God. Because he says some crazy things. He says some things that only the Son of God could have said, period. And so when you read the words of Jesus in your Bible, you have to consider the the words of Jesus as though he is God. Otherwise, it will never make sense. He responds like this. Jesus, in Matthew 17, um, he says, uh, I'm sorry, I think this is Matthew, Matthew 10, right? Matthew 19, verse 17. He says, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which one, the guy asks. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? Now, if you pick and choose from different versions, different, different versions of these stories, what you figure out about this guy is he is a rich, young ruler. So he's kind of got it together from a cultural standpoint. He's, he's wealthy. He's a ruler, which probably means he employs people. He's got people that work for him. He's young. Some of you ladies are thinking, like, where's this guy at? Seeing Kyle for tonight? Hook me up, Heath. You know, like, hey, I want to meet this guy. Um, but, but as he's talking to Jesus here, you can kind of see the audacity of this young man. He does what we often do whenever we get cornered a little bit, right? Whenever we think we've got it all together, but somebody asks us, like, a hard question. See, the truth is... He asks Jesus a question, but I don't think he really wants the answer. Because Jesus says, okay, if you want eternal life, you need to keep the commandments. And this man would have known the commandments. It's not like this was, this was stuff he didn't already know. But then he responds to Jesus and he tries to get legalistic and technical. Which ones? Which ones? Jesus, you know, Jesus plays along and, and, and he, he tells him all the ones that he should he should keep, and you know, he, Jesus tells him the answer that he already knows, and the guy responds with, oh yeah, I've, I've done all that. I've, I've got that taken care of. It, it's kind of like what we do when we're in trouble and we try to justify ourselves, right? Like, have you ever actually talked to somebody about um, why they should get to go to heaven? It's a great question to ask people, by the way, if you want to find out if they're saved. Um, because a lot of times people will be like, oh, well, I mean, I mean, I'm a pretty good guy. You know, like, I've never murdered anybody. I mean, I'm not like, I'm not like Hitler. Hitler's always the guy we throw under the bus, right? Like, he's, he's the worst. Nobody's as bad as Hitler. Just compare me to him, right? You know, and so we just give this answer. We, we try to, like, justify ourselves by, by throwing out Hitler, right? You know, we're, and that's what this guy's doing here. He's like, oh, I've done all the big ones. Don't murder. Got it. Don't cheat on my wife. Got it. Yeah, okay. That's easy, Lord. I've got all of those things. I've done all of those. I'm a pretty good guy, Jesus. Mark 10, 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, Jesus said. Now, okay, if we can pause here for just a minute, here's what you recognize. If you're familiar with Jesus or the scriptures at all, here's what you know. Jesus is fixing to drop an atomic bomb, okay? Like, this is the turning point in the conversation that everybody knows is coming. Like, so many times in a conversation, Jesus is having this back and forth, and he's asking great questions, and, and then all of a sudden, there comes this point in the conversation where Jesus just drops the Thor hammer like only Jesus can do, right? And it's just like, 
everything just blows up. And all of a sudden, everybody goes, oh, I get it. Yeah, that makes total sense. That's what Jesus is about to do here. But, but look at this. Verse 21 starts like this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. How awesome is that verse? Jesus looks at this young, arrogant, punk kid and loved him. See, every time I, re- I read that, it reminds me of how Jesus looked at me back, at whenever, back whenever I thought I had it all together. It, it reminds me of how Jesus looked at me when I thought that I knew it all. Back when I, like the rich young ruler, thought that I was a pretty good guy, Jesus looked at me and loved me. And some of you know this look. Because some of you, you've like jumped into this community wholeheartedly. And you're a part of this mini family that we call a life group. And you've had a brother or sister come alongside you at some point, And they, they loved you enough to say something that you know that you needed to hear. They didn't condemn you. They didn't harm you. Your feelings may have been hurt, but they didn't harm you. They, they were helping you and they, they loved you. Because they looked at you like Jesus and they loved you. Never forget that when somebody loves you enough to have that conversation, they're being like Jesus in that moment. They're looking at you and they're talking to you the way that Jesus was talking and looking at a rich young ruler. They're being a lot like Jesus in that moment. Jesus looks at him and he loves him. What do I got to do to have eternal life? And he says, one thing you lack, believe in me. That sounds really good, doesn't it? Just believe in Jesus. And and it kind of sounds like the thing that we would expect to hear in church, right? Like one thing you like, believe in me. You know what? This is what is required of you is to believe in Jesus. It's what's required of us for our lives to change is to believe in Jesus. It's what's required for us to change. We're, We're to believe in Jesus. But that's not what he says, is it? In fact, he says something far more severe. Jesus makes this like harsh, crazy statement. It's one of those statements that we read about and we think, man, Jesus would never ask me to do something like that, thank God. Or would he? Jesus responds and he says, go, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Why would Jesus say that? The dude's asking, what do I have to do to gain eternal life? And Jesus says, sell everything you've got, give it to the poor and come follow me. Because Jesus knows that even if you believe in Jesus, believing in Jesus will never change your life. See, the problem for most of us is that we believe, but we never take the next step towards following Jesus. And for this guy, a rich young ruler, Jesus knows what this guy values. See, he knows, Jesus knows what this guy's in love with because the guy, he's, he's a guy who is invested in his earthly possessions. Jesus knows that where your treasure is, there your heart will be found also. See, that, that's what Jesus said like a few chapters earlier over in Matthew. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, where, where, what you value most, that's where I'll find your heart. That's what your heart is committed to. And Jesus knows this guy has given his heart towards gaining worldly wealth. He's given his heart to being rich, to being important. So Jesus already knows what this guy is in love with. And Jesus challenges what this guy loves most because Jesus wants to be what this guy loves most. 
For some of you, your life hasn't changed because you've been unwilling to give up your worldly thing for Jesus. This guy had the worldly thing. Your worldly possessions, your worldly dreams, your worldly sin. These are the things that keep us from from moving from simply believing in Jesus to following Jesus. Simple belief doesn't affect our hearts. And this is why some of you haven't seen more than a belief change. And what you need is a change of heart. Here's what I know. You'll always follow what your heart is in love with. You'll always follow what your heart is in love with. Jesus wants your heart. You give him your heart and everything changes. That's where the hope comes from. That's where the hope comes from. Because we've all seen it happen. We've seen it happen time and time again. Someone falls in love with Jesus and they're willing to give up anything to follow him. And they do. And then everything changes. Everything changes. They don't just gain eternity in heaven for believing. They gain a changed life right now. Let me tell you a story about following. Justin, come on up, brother. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about Justin and Kayla Wells. You, you guys know Justin and Kayla Wells. He's the guy that leads us in worship every night. Isn't he awesome? Yeah. So <clears throat> let me show you a picture of Justin from more, many, many moons ago. Look at that sexy stud. Woo! <clears throat> You're a good-looking fella. At least you were. No. <laughs> See, it, here's the thing. This is Justin and Kaylin, and you guys know them as a couple. If you follow them on Facebook, you know they just had a beautiful baby boy. They've got a couple of kids, you know. It, but let me tell you something. It didn't start out that way, okay? In fact, um, in the beginning, Justin was all into Kayla, but Kayla was not into Justin. <laughs> but... Justin and Kayla were both in Chi Alpha, and um, we kind of like it when people get together around here. So uh, he had a lot of friends that thought they would be good together. He had a lot of help. And um, Justin, so Justin starts following Kayla. Now, I'm not talking about like, you know, social media following, okay? Like, I'm talking about like the the creepy stalkerish kind of following, all right? Like, he was always following her around, just trying to be near her, you know. Like, he, he would end up with her, you know, near her at Chi Alpha hangout nights. Like, you guys know how this works, right? Like, you place yourself in the area that she's in, trying to catch her eye, right? And he had friends on his side, man. They're scheming, trying to figure out, like, when everybody goes out to the restaurant after, how do we get them to sit next to each other, you know? And, like, okay, listen, they would invite they would invite her to dinner, and then they would just happen to invite him too, you know? All right, check this out. Justin applied for a job that, because Kayla posted about a job opening, and he thought she worked next door. He applied for a job. Turned out she worked where she was actually applying, so he ended up working at the hotel she worked at, right? She was the receptionist when he walked in for the paperwork. <laughs> he organized a dance party out at the lake one time so that a mutual friend could invite her out there. He followed her. This is what following looks like. Why? Because she had his heart. She had his heart. You always pursue the affection of your heart, don't you? Only took a year, brother. But you got her. 
She's got that ring, two babies, house. Mm, you're a family now. You always pursue the affections of your heart. Listen, I, I have a beautiful wife that I love to pursue because she has my heart. But imagine if I stopped pursuing my wife and started pursuing other women. Now, we might remain married until she figures it out and murders me, right? (laughs) But she wouldn't have my heart, would she? There would be no real relationship, would there? See, we do the same with Jesus. We believe we're in relationship. But we start pursuing other things. We fall in love with the things of this world. And before long, Jesus no longer has our hearts. What Jesus knew is that this rich young ruler, he knew what he was in love with most. And Jesus wanted that top spot. Jesus doesn't ever take any other spot in our lives. He wants the top spot. But the scriptures say this. They say this man went away sad. Because he had a lot of stuff. Worldly stuff. He was not willing to give up the worldly stuff to fall in love with Jesus. You see, you won't start following Jesus. And you won't see life change because of following Jesus until you fall in love with Jesus. But when you do, when you do, everything changes. Everything changes. This is where our hope comes from. This is where we know everything changes. It comes from us believing that Jesus is worth falling in love with. And see, okay, I'm reading this book right now called How to Read the Bible Book by Book. And it's, it's by a guy named Gordon Fee and, and another one by Douglas Stewart. The entire premise of this entire book, How to Read the Bible Book by Book, you're reading every single idea that's behind every single book in the Bible. Here's the premise that you follow, that you, that you follow time after time after time. That God, like Justin, has been pursuing us throughout all of human history. And we, like Kayla, we ain't having it. But his pursuit is relentless. See, Justin didn't come up with with the idea of pursuing the one you love by himself. He followed the example of a God that loved him when he didn't love God. In this pursuit of God that that God wanted to be near us. So through Jesus he comes from heaven to earth to be with us. To be near. To come close. See, God pursued this man and me And every one of us in here, when we didn't love him back, he loved us relentlessly. He pursued us with this unfailing love. And one day, I'll tell you this, it worked. And all of a sudden, Justin Wells gets saved, accepts Jesus, falls in love with Jesus. And I will promise you this, if you were to look at the drug-addicted Justin that walked into this room, you wouldn't recognize the man today. See, The hope comes from falling in love with Jesus. It's not a religious act. It's not picking yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's not doing it because you're strong enough. It's loving Jesus more than you love your sin. Loving Jesus more than you love the things of this world. And when that happens, there's a switch that flips and everything changes. Everything changes. 
God's relentless pursuit of us has never stopped. God's willingness to pursue us, his love for us, forced him to give all it cost Jesus his life to pay for your sin, to give you a ticket into heaven. And he, God, through God's power, raised Jesus from the dead three days later. And through that resurrection power, here's what the Bible says, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work within you. He didn't have to, but he loves you. That's why he did it. That's why he did it. His being near to us through Jesus. It's what has caused so many of us in this room to fall in love with Jesus. Let me explain to you the severity of this love. I love Jesus more than I love my wife. I love Jesus more than I love my baby girls. And it's when we place Jesus above everything else, there's hope for change. He wants your heart. And he's satisfied with nothing less. And I'll say this, he's the only one worthy of it. He's the only one worthy of giving your heart to.